Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, then I'm going to let you take your seats. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstling of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and unto his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had no, not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thou countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Verse 10, and he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of the world. Please take your seats. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We have to be very careful about how we represent us and more specifically, who we choose to represent us. And I'm being very, very specific here and I'm gonna go there in a second, but I need to, to get to that point. Um, and I was thinking really about how, you know, we have judicial systems in this country. Fantastic, what a beautiful kind of separation of the judicial, part of government, the executive and the legislative, it really works very well together. And when you're part of the judicial, if you're unfortunate enough to have to get a part of that, you need to have somebody qualified to represent you. Like that's, like if you, if you go to court, and even if it's just a parking ticket, and you mess around and get the wrong person or the wrong thing, like the thing that should have been easy for you now starts to get difficult. Like getting representation for your cause is like more than half the battle. The better the lawyer you have, you see why some folks who are really wealthy, like get away, you say, how did he get away with that? Well, he had the best lawyer. He had like an excellent lawyer who knew the ins and outs and the laws, knew exactly which buttons to push, I'll be the jury, knew maybe the judge very well. Maybe they go golfing on the weekend. He knows the, jo the, the judge that well. It works out perfectly if you have the right representation. Against that idea, if you have the worst representation, let's say it's a court-appointed lawyer, somebody who has got a caseload, like hundreds of cases that are on his, he has to deal with, and he has like 10 minutes to, he's rushing in court just five minutes before he's supposed to represent you he's saying what's your name again oh yeah mark yeah sure let me see what i can do he hasn't looked at your case file and this is who's representing you doesn't know the judge he's late he's upset the judge because he's coming to the court all loud right this is what happens when you have bad representation when you have bad representation the thing you should have got off with you don't get away with right and the thing you might have been able to get away with, there's no chance for that if you have the worst representation. So the question we've got to ask ourselves this morning is, who's speaking for you? 
Who are you selected to speak for you? And I think sometimes we pick the wrong people to speak for us. As a result, <laughs> we have the worst outcomes because the person speaking for us is not qualified. You've seen those kind of films where the, where the, where the guy decides to represent himself and the judge says to him, look, if you represent yourself, it's, you can't appeal on this idea that you've represented yourself. That's it. Like, and this guy says, oh yeah, I'm clever enough, only to realize the law's a little bit more complicated than that. That's why we have bar associations and why we have so many years you've got to study before you become a lawyer. They want to make sure you're good and you're good at your job. So the question always becomes, it's not what you know, it then becomes a case of who you know. <laughs> who do I know that's going to help me in this situation? Do you know a good, do you know somebody who's been through this? Do you know somebody who has an inside chat with the judge? Do you know somebody who, if I don't have the money to come up with, can help me find a way to come up with some money? Do you know a, a lawyer who can do this pro bono? Meaning he's willing to come out of his own pocket to represent you. <laughs> All right, I'm going somewhere. Do you know somebody who will represent you? Thank you, Lord Jesus. So let's go back to the story of Genesis, the one I just spoke about, the one I just read. Here, Abel, Cain and Abel have been born, and they're both two different types of people. It's obvious from this text and from the, the professions they choose, they're really different characters. One chooses to till the ground, and the other one chooses to herd sheep and, and livestock. And they're both, it's both time for them to give respect to God, and so respectively they give from their own from whatever their profession is. One gives from the ground, and the other one gives from the flock. And the Lord loves what Abel does and hates what Cain does, right? He likes what Abel does and doesn't like what Cain does. The truth is Cain could have done the, the right thing if he wanted to here. He could have actually got something from the ground and given it to the Lord, but he, he could have actually gave something if he had the right attitude and was willing to, to maybe trade with his brother. He could have got a right, right kind of sacrifice too. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Instead, he chose, once he realized he did it wrong, not to help himself or go to his brother and see how I could correct this. What he chose to do was just get angry about it. He chose the wrong path when it came to getting in relationship with the Lord. He didn't seek out to decide, what do I need to do to get closer? He decided to get mad. And he got frustrated with the person who got it right. So the scripture tells us that him and his brother are out one day, and he kills Abel, his brother. The first murder we hear about in the scripture. And in doing so, something happens that I don't think Cain was ready for. The scripture tells us that as soon as Abel's blood hit the ground, it cries out to the Lord. The problem that Cain has now is that there is a voice speaking for him, but the problem with the voice this time is that it's not speaking good things for, for, for Cain. It's accusing him of what he's done. This blood that has spilt on the ground, apparently the Lord can hear this, and as a result of what he hears, he comes and speaks to Cain. And he says, your brother's blood is crying out against you and has told me what you've done. It's a fascinating moment because we see here the power of blood. We see here the power of blood. And it's actually not the first time, I know we're at the beginning, but technically this isn't the first time that shedding of the blood needed to happen in order to fix somebody's, some, what somebody's done. 
in fact, if you think back into chapter 3, I believe it is, uh, what happens with Adam and Eve when they, when they go against what the Lord has said, the scripture tells us that they run and hide and hide their nakedness, right? And they cover themselves up with temporarily, but then the Lord said, covers them with clothes from animals that he sacrifices. And that becomes the first shedding of blood to cover over a mistake, right? That's the first chance that has happened, a sin has occurred, some kind of issue, some kind of problem has occurred, and we need to fix it by paying the price, and that price is gonna be paid in blood. And it's paid for by these animals that essentially the Lord kills and clothes them with. So this is the first time. And then this time happens again, but this time the blood that's shed doesn't help Cain. This time the blood that's shed accuses Cain. And I was thinking about how the fact that we have to make sure whatever is done for us when we go wrong, it represents us well. Abel's blood did not represent Cain. It accused Cain. But there is blood that represents us. I'm getting there. Give me, give me a moment here. So I remember when I was young, I think I was probably about Jaden's age, maybe a little bit younger. This was the first time, I'm not proud of this, this is the first time I got into a fight at school. I'm not proud of this, just to be very clear. I don't want you all getting into any fights. Do not tell your teachers the pastor said it's okay. It's not okay. <laughs> all right? I remember the first time. What happened was I was playing soccer in the field with this guy, and I slid and tackled him, and it was, it was a horrible accident. I hurt, I literally hurt him. Anyway, he got up and called me everything. Except for a child of God. He called me everything. And I was there sitting there taking it. And then I started to obviously, I, I couldn't resist. I decided to, to, to settle this with my fist. Horrible mistake. Again, I want to make sure I'm telling you all, this is not what you're supposed to be doing. This was my mistake. Okay, so then what happened was the teacher came across and we got the chance every summer, I don't know if you remember, Sonny, when we were younger, we used to allow, they used to let us play in the field. That was the thing we did to let the kids know it was summer and you're out, allowed to go out. We have a huge field in the back of school and that's where you can go play. Well, when the teacher found out that I had hit this guy, he said, you can't play in the field no more, you've got to be by yourself, right? And he says, well, why did you do it? He was trying to get out of me why I did it, but I didn't want to say what he said. It was really horrible things, right? I didn't want to say those things. I'm going to repeat them. It was everything. So I says, no, I'm not going to say anything. I sat there, nothing, said nothing. He says, okay, well, you can't play in the field. Everybody else was playing in the field except for me. So um, afterwards, somebody from my class went and told the teacher exactly what happened. Thank goodness for whoever that was. I don't even still this day, I don't know who it was. They went and told the teacher actually what the whole situation, what had happened and why we got to where we was. So I remember hearing, he, he was, my teacher's name was Mr. Parker. Um, and I remember coming out and hearing him shouting at the top of his voice, trying to get the other kid to come in because he realized he hadn't judged the whole situation correctly because I didn't represent myself correctly. Like I didn't tell him what the situation was because I, I was scared of what, the, what it meant to actually articulate the problem properly. So he, coming and seeing everything I said, which was nothing, said, you are the one who's guilty. Like you're the one who can't play now because you don't know how to keep your hands to yourself, right? And according to the information he had, he was absolutely right. So what we say to represent ourselves really does matter. 
I remember my uncle once telling me a story. He said he, said he had a problem with a speech impediment when he was younger. He, he mostly got out of it when he was older. But he used to remember, this is back when kids used to get a whooping from their parents, I guess. He used to tell me that he couldn't get out of his mouth what the problem was. He literally had such a problem with his speech impediment, he couldn't get it out. Like, and so if his brothers did something, he ended up getting the worst of it because he wasn't fast enough. He said by the time he was 14, he figured out how to overcome the stutter because he was tired of getting the brunt of his parents' wrath. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to learn to represent myself because if I don't represent myself, the judgment will be always against me. Let me share one more scripture because I think this is where, where, the, where we start to lock in on why I'm talking about all this. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 24. In fact, we, we picked up this scripture during our teaching a few weeks ago and I wanted to kind of go back over this really quickly with you. Man, there is so much good about what the Holy Spirit does for us, what the blood of Jesus does for us. <laughs> because when we can't represent ourselves, the Lord represents us. Like when, we're in, when we don't know how to explain what we're going through, the Lord will take up our case and represent us. Look at what it says about the blood of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 24. And Jesus, the mediator or the negotiator of the new covenant, of the new promise, of the new agreement. Remember there's the Old Testament, the old way, <laughs> where the blood cries against you. That's the old way. But Jesus, who is the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. I just got through talking about this. The blood that was shed, and Abel's blood, was shouting out, crying out, this guy is absolutely guilty. Like, Cain was the one who did this. Cain's the reason why this blood's on the ground. But Jesus' blood isn't like that at all. Jesus' blood speaks for us. Jesus' sacrifice speaks for us. When we don't know what to say, or we don't know how to say it, or we don't know how to put it, his blood speaks for us. Like, it speaks up for us. He was that unknown friend who when he saw that I got sent into the, into the classroom when everybody else was playing, this unknown friend came to my aid and said, actually, you don't know the whole story. You don't know what actually went on for the whole thing. There's more to this story than what is being told at the moment. We need an advocate. <laughs> we need a defender. In law, it's called a solicitor in England, and a barrister, a lawyer. We need somebody who speaks on our behalf when we can't speak on our behalf. When we don't know what the rules really are, when we get it mistaken or we can't figure out exactly how to explain what we're going through, we need somebody to speak better things than we are able to speak. And Jesus is the one who speaks better things for us. The scripture tells us that without the shedding of the blood, there is no remission of sins. But I've come to find out that it needs the right kind of blood to remove my sins. 
The scripture tells us that the blood of goats and the blood of bulls were used as part of a sacrifice to help with sins, but they didn't do it. They couldn't do it. They needed a better sacrifice than Abel. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I need you to understand that his sacrifice is way better than ours. The truth is, um, if we were to count up all the things we've done wrong, if we were to really count it up, not even our own lives would pay for it. Like we're that much in the hole. Like we're that much in debt. We can't pay for what we've done. <laughs> like there's no um, loan program that can help you. There's no, like you're in that much debt with your sins and what you've done wrong that you couldn't pay it yourself. And so the question becomes, how do I get out of this debt? It's, it's like a high interest loan that you can barely make the interest payments for, let alone the principal. I had to learn about that the hard way. <laughs> My wife and I were first getting our first loans or like, what's an interest rate again? What does that mean? What does 26% mean? <laughs> like, we got into some doozies where we realized the interest rate was so, how do they expect me to pay this off if the interest rate is so high? That's exactly what happens with our sin. That's what happens with the way we act in the world. We, we, we realize we can't pay it off. So we're looking around, who can represent us? Who can help us? If I'm that much in debt, if I'm that much out of the, the I can't even pay the principal down. Like I'm taking on more debt than I'm paying off. That's the definition of going you know, under, is when I'm taking on more debt than I'm paying off. And Jesus comes in and sees that we are mankind is taking on more debt than he can pay off. And he's saying, I'm gonna fix this by paying the debt. I'm gonna fix this by representing them correctly. Now, there's a couple of different ways you can get out of this. You can declare bankruptcy. <laughs> and hope your creditors go away. That doesn't work with sin, by the way. There's no declaration of, it's like student loans. They changed the rules for student loans a few years back, just in case, like a few years ago they said, you can't declare bankruptcy and get rid of student loans. Oh, horrible, right? Now you have to pay the whole thing up. Can't get out of it. That's exactly what's happened with us. We are accruing debt and we can't get out of it. And the Lord is saying, I've paid this price already. Let me, let me take a couple more scriptures here because I think it's important that we, we dive in on this a little bit. The, the, the one I really like, um, the one I really like is found in, in um, Acts chapter 2 verse 24. Acts 2 24. If somebody could find that for me and help me, help me read that one. Yes, sir. In fact, do 23 and 24 if you could, sir. Him being delivered by person. Yes. Yeah. Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So this is, this is the first time the apostles stand on their own without Jesus to talk about Jesus, who he was, what he was about. And the first time they talk about him, it says, you took your wicked hands and put on a holy man. You took the sacrifice that was pure and you decided to kill him. And what does it say about that? Who, verse 24, God yes. has raised up having loosed the pains of death yes. because it was not possible 
So Jesus, so, so Peter's kind of talking about here, he's saying, you killed somebody who didn't deserve to die, and in killing that person who didn't deserve to die, you essentially did what shouldn't have been able to do. You asked somebody to pay a debt that they didn't owe. You asked somebody to pay a debt they didn't owe. And the life that you took was so important, was so big, that now you're in debt. <laughs> so imagine now, You've been paying a debt to the bank, right? Imagine you've paid, the, and then you've overpaid. Let's say you overpay the debt that you owe to the bank, maybe it's because of your mortgage, and you've been unfortunately paying too much. You've, instead of paying 100,000 for your house, you paid 300,000. What is reasonable and fair is that the bank now owes you 200,000, right? They've taken something that they didn't deserve to take. That's what's happened right here. Death took Jesus, but because he had no sin, it didn't deserve him. The people who judged him didn't have the ability to take him because he had no sin. So now they're in debt. To, now death is literally in debt to Christ. <laughs> but the life that they took was so important that it's a debt that death cannot pay off. Like this is he who was in the beginning and said, let there be life, and there was light. So how do you pay back somebody who sits in eternity? How do you pay back? How do you give back a reasonable recompense to somebody who brought everything into creation, including death, it's death itself? How do you pay that back? <laughs> what do you do with the amount of debt you've got? What actually happens is exactly what salvation is about. Jesus gets to choose exactly who gets to benefit from what was taken erroneously. Like he has so much life debt owed to him that he can turn to me and say, I represent him and the life you took from me on that you think you now owe to me, you now owe it to him. So now when I do something wrong, <laughs> it's not like I have to pay the debt because Jesus paid the debt. Like, he's the one that's owed it because he did nothing wrong. <laughs> Let me, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. I'm going to see, show you exactly why I say what I say. Thank you, Jesus. 1 Peter 3, verse 18 through 19. 1 Peter 3, 18 through 19. Yes, sir. Yeah. So you made Christ suffer for sin. Not his own sin, our sin. Like, he didn't do anything wrong, we did. But you made him suffer, okay? The just for the unjust. Why did he do this? When he was perfectly just, when he was innocent, and he found people who were guilty and said, don't make them suffer, I've already suffered enough for them. You see that? Okay, keep going. Just that he might bring us to God, being put to death, in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So, here he says, the just for the unjust, the innocent for the guilty, you took him erroneously, and he did all this that he might bring us to God. It was a deliberate act to provoke the people to take his life 
so that he could turn around and say, I am now giving life to anybody I want. It's like me finding out that my dad paid a bill way too much for our house. And they come in and say, okay, well now we owe too much, now we have to give you some money back. Well, it would go to his sons and his daughters. He would go to his grandchildren, right? So now the only way I can get the money back is the only thing I have to do is that I prove that I am his son. Like I prove that I'm related to him and the money that is owed to my father now goes to me. What are we then in the church? We are people who have proven that we have a connection to the Christ. I take on his name and then I take his credit for life with me. <laughs> I don't have to pay it, he did already. Like if death wants something, like there's a connection. The scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death, <laughs> right? But if he's paid the, the sin part of this, why am I getting death? I shouldn't have any worry about it. So that's why the Lord is saving me from the life I've had. You've taken something that wasn't yours, and now the Lord's saying, I'm gonna give it to my, my children. Do you see how that works? I don't have to worry about that debt anymore because you owe Christ so much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He did it on purpose. It wasn't an accident. He came and said, I'm going to give my son. And because I give my son, all the world's going to be saved. <laughs> Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's read that first Peter again. For Christ also. Once suffered sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Yes. Being put to death in the flesh. Yes. But quickened by the Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. For, and then it says that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, and quickeneth by the Spirit. We have the opportunity for life because you gave him death inappropriately. This isn't, shouldn't be such a radical difference. I remember there was a case a few years back where this gentleman was put into prison for a crime he didn't commit. A horrible case, really, to, on the surface of it. The, 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 the evidence was really, really bad. Everything was all the way through. It was just an in, unjust situation. And what actually happened when they released him, the situation was so bad that they said, okay, now we have to talk about compensation. You've been in prison all this time, for 20 years. And they said, we're gonna have to compensate you for the injustice that we've given you, right? Now he was an innocent man and they're saying, we've gotta make sure that you're okay. We're gonna make sure, what, well, what would you have earned if you were like out and able to, to work this whole time? That's the start, right? That's the basics. And then we say, well, how much is this pain and suffering over these 20 years you've been in jail inappropriately? That's the next step. Okay, well, then now, what about other things that we need to consider here that's happened to you because you're in jail, right? It's perfectly reasonable that they compensated him. But I'm trying to figure out even now, how do you compensate somebody who brought the universe into existence? Like, what is it that you have to give back? Like, I am starting to walk in the grace of God more confidently because I know what is owed to him, not what is owed to me. Like you say, well, you know, you're not perfect. No, I'm not. But you took somebody who was perfect and because of that, I now get a chance of life. 
It's not about you being great. It's about God being great. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's go to Colossians 1, verses 20. Colossians 1, verse 20. And it reads the... Please, please, yes. yes. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, yes. by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. We have peace because of the blood of his cross. Yes. Got no choice but to have peace through the blood of his cross because so much is owed to him. And because so much is owed to me, and I become kin to him, I take on his name, I get the same type of peace. I want you to walk confidently in the salvation you have. I want you to make sure that you know that this price has been paid for you. And you don't have to worry about how you're going to make it right. His blood has made it right. His blood is speaking better things for you than you could possibly speak for yourself. You already have a pro bono lawyer who has paid the debt, who has got it all right for you. And let's take this a step further. The lawyer that you have not only knows the judge, but is the judge. You, you know what I mean? Like Jesus is the living God. And so not only does he know the judge, but he is the judge. Like if you're looking for an inside help, like having your lawyer be the judge seems to me to be the best situation. Like I am being represented by the guy who's actually the real judge here. So I get to now enjoy all the benefits, thank you Lord Jesus, of being associated with the Christ. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. Revelation chapter 1 says this. I am, this is Christ speaking. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell, that is the grave, and of death. Jesus is literally telling us that the death part, the part that is the price for sin, he has the keys for that now. That means he can open it and close it whenever he's ready. He can gain access to it or throw it out as soon as he's ready. And he got all of this because of the price he paid at the cross. When we get round to Easter and we talk more about that sacrifice, we see how truly devastating it was. But we also know what the price was that he intended to get from it. Like you know how much somebody loves somebody by how much they're willing to sacrifice for them. No one ever for a birthday ever said to you, what is the thing you want that I can spend the least on? That's not the way, that's not the way you should approach the question, right? You should say, what do you want? And I'll just figure out how to, you know what I mean? If I said to my wife, um, I want to get you something, but I don't want to pay that much. That wouldn't be the great way to start a conversation, right? We want to know, like you can have anything. If I've got it in my account, it's yours. That sounds more like love. That sounds more like, um, you know, you can have anything you want. This is your birthday, it's you. It's all about you. You can tell how much you loved us because he didn't send anybody else to do this. Like, he did it himself and gave everything. That's why, you know, I remember Minister Flag got us all mad one, one year. I'm gonna tell this story. 
So we're at church one week and he sets up this beautiful thing with the pastor, with our pastor. It's really, it was really nice. He embarrassed us all. He said, I want to get my wife this huge ring. And we're all looking at the front like, he's showing how much he loves his wife. We're all sitting there without, you know, looking like what? How are you making us all a part of this? But he wanted to show how much he loved. The ring was huge. You, you still have it? <laughs> the ring was huge and we we're like, oh yeah, he, he loves her, right? That's what Jesus is for us. It's a sign of how much he loves us. Like he paid everything. There was this billionaire, I think his name was Robert something or the other. And the graduating class of one of the universities, he said he was giving a speech and he wanted to do something for the graduating class and he paid the debt, the school debt of everybody graduating that year. I'm like, wow, that's amazing because you know each of them are going to spend 20 years paying that debt off, right? And he paid the debt and this is what Christ did for us. You've accumulated a debt you couldn't pay, the interest rate was too high and you were going under fast. And because we said, Lord, I'm going to take on your name. His, his credit became my credit. And I want you to be grateful and thankful for the price he paid for us. May the Lord add a blessing to our words, to the reading of his word. In the name of the Lord.